me every time. Thank you. It's that one. That was the problem. The beautiful Micah came sneaking in, risking burning his hands to move this one. It was this little fella that was... Be at peace, little light. Thanks. That better? I'm glad you spoke up. Ta. So, hey, welcome to the gathering this morning. This motley crew of Jesus followers, and we're all part of it, just as we are. It's good to have you here. Today is week two of a series, The Good and Beautiful God, and most of this I need to give huge credit to this guy, James Brian Smith. Why there are nectarines? Do we think they're nectarines on the cover? Yeah, this book has been brilliant. Um, we've been loving it in book club. We've got a pop-up book club on Thursday nights and I think some of the Sunday lunch mob might have started too. Is that right? Yeah, so kind of another a pop-up lunch Sunday, midweek, anytime you feel like it, book club. Yeah, is that how it rolls, Kate? <laughs> a little bit like that. It's brilliant. So a lot of these ideas are borrowed from him. But it's been a book that has, I see, such potential in the ideas of this and the ideas that when we truly see God as God is, that's when love is the most natural response in the world. So we look at the stories we tell ourselves about God and do they match what we see in the life of Jesus? Now, some of you were here last week and Clayton began this series by introducing the idea of these the stories we tell ourselves um, And the idea that we focused on last week, that the most important thing about us is what we believe about God, because that shapes all the rest of our life, who we see ourselves and others, the point of life, what we do, what we give ourselves to. Um, And the other part is that we don't just examine the false stories, we need to replace them. The second part is replacing them with those of Jesus. So that's, that's really the full part of it. Today's message is the perfect blend and it draws both on my love of coffee to get that perfect blend but also the blend in the characteristics of God and exploring again who this God is. This leads to how we follow God and our trust and trust being different to belief at times because it doesn't matter that God is all-powerful or all-knowing if God is not also all-good. Jesus is the one who best knows the heart of God and his prayer in the Lord's Prayer shows us who God is. God is the perfect blend of all the characteristics of goodness. God is near, whole, strong, giving, forgiving and protecting. When we know these things, when we live into them, when they're the thing that we ground ourselves in, it grows our capacity to trust God because Love that has been proven can be trusted, even when nothing else makes sense. So, there are a few characteristics generally of trustworthy people. Perhaps things like they might be authentic, or they're consistent, they have integrity. They might be someone who's compassionate, and you can know that they're trustworthy and that they're kind, or they're available. So, when you think about someone you trust, What is it about that person that makes them trustworthy for you? Is there something that comes to mind? And if there is, would you be willing to share it with us as we start to think about trustworthiness? Consistency, yeah. So I guess that builds reliability to depend on, yeah, they'll do and be what they said and as they've been before. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Say that again, I couldn't hear. Past behaviour. On their past behaviour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when you've seen their past behaviour, they were there for you, they turned up for you, they they came through, you, you're pretty sure they'll be able to do that again. They've proven themselves to you in a sense. Thank you. Honesty. honesty, yeah. What is it about that, Ian, do you reckon? What is it that honesty leads to trustworthiness? For you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So when they're honest, there's a sense perhaps that you can believe them to be true, true with you, to be what they seem to be and to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Andy. How they speak about other people. Right, yeah. And what is it about that, how they speak about other people? And that leads a little bit to what Kate was saying, past behaviour and also present behaviour gives a sense of, well, if you speak about others in this uplifting way, I could trust that you would do so about me and versi visa. So we've thought about that with people because we come to know God primarily through people. And how about God? I'm not going to ask you to share this because it might take a bit of time to think and you might want to feel a bit more about that. But how would you describe your current trust level when it comes to God? Particularly given those characteristics we talk about of why we trust other people. I'd have to say, I reckon, I'd put money on the fact that many of you, perhaps some things have happened to you that, have made it at times a little tricky to trust God because that's part of what it is to be human and it's part of what it is to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. Things do happen that make it hard to trust and I reckon for each of you that you are here in some way shows trust. So I reckon we've probably, most of us, got that blend of trust and questions but there's enough that we've seen in the life of Jesus that we know he's trustworthy. I want to speak out hope and courage to all of us today, but especially to those who may be in a season where it's hard to trust that God is trustworthy. To remind all of us again of the kindness of Christ, which draws us, draws up from within us, greater love for God. You know, there's a saying, you might have heard it, we used to do it in a uniting church or if you've been in a Pentecostal church or somewhere, the saying, God is good and the people call back all the time and all the time, God is good and that is true and sometimes when your heart is breaking, it's really, really, really good to declare what is true but sometimes when you're in the church service, when somebody uses that phrase, And you're the one who somebody you love has had a serious illness diagnosed. When you're struggling with chronic mental illness, when you've gone for the promotion again and been knocked back, 
when your heart is breaking, when your small business has crumbled, when somebody you love is hurting. What does it do then? We need to be able to say, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, and yet today I can't see it. Will somebody please see it for me? It's still true, but we need a nuance to this, don't we? Because otherwise we diminish people's experience of pain and make it harder to trust God in pain. There's the things we don't see coming. So it's really, really good to be brought up in the faith. I'm so privileged to have been a child in the church and to have the foundations. But sometimes they lead us to think how life should go in God. And it can be a rude awakening when life happens to us. And we need a faith that is big and broad and strong to withhold it. And that is a faith that I see modelled in the life of Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that. For many of us, when things start to go not quite as we thought, it can cause us to ask important questions about who God is. And is God on my side or just on everybody else's? I don't think we need to fear these questions because within them, and perhaps on the other side of them, if we ever find another side of them, there can be a deeper knowing of God's love and presence and care that is stronger and more unshakable than a simple faith where God follows the rules. It can be so profound that it can sustain us through these struggles. And a faith, a mature faith in Christ, which manages to hold the balance between trust and things not always being as they should. So we need to know more than God is powerful or good. Again, we need to know that God is trustworthy and will never harm us even though we experience things that are very difficult sometimes in order to grow this kind of faith. And this is why I've chosen this particular topic of the nine from our book club because I think it's a core issue that we need to know because every person I know hurts in some way and at some time. And as people of faith, we have to have a theology that includes suffering and redemption or we won't have a faith that lasts through life, will we? I believe knowing that God is trustworthy does something powerful for our faith that changes how we experience the rough and tumble of life. It can also make us bolder. It's not even for the rough and tumble. But when you trust God, maybe you can dare to put in that book proposal or plant that garden or try for that job or move overseas like John and Tammy did and face the risks and uncertainty. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be in control because I trust in a God who is with me. When we have this kind of faith, this kind of trust, it creates the possibility of us still having peace and being able to engage differently with challenges and suffering. So I'd like to know, what type of faith can inoculate us against faulty ideas of God when our lives don't go when we thought they would or should? I want us at the G to have this kind of faith. I want us to encourage one another in this and to be able to work it out together. Because people like it when you give them simple answers about God. And sometimes that works, but sometimes for some of us it doesn't. I want to see us grow up in Christ together. 
the image I have for this, and sorry if you're medically minded, I know this doesn't make sense. It's just a metaphor. But it's an idea of a flu shot, a faith where we know for ourselves that God is trustworthy. is kind of like an inoculation for our faith. I'd love us to be able to teach it to our children when they're little, to get those foundations right, but also to know that God doesn't make everything okay all the time, but he makes it okay in the end. I don't know, something like that. But this inoculation for our faith, it helps us withstand the full effects of the pain and being fully, totally, always completely for us, working for our good even in the broken things. Knowing this, finding this and forging this kind of faith in suffering is powerful. It enables us to honestly bring ourselves as we are to Jesus, to refocus on Christ and to remember him with us in our struggles. And as we do, we fall more deeply in love with the God Jesus knew as loving, present, trustworthy, Abba Father. So let's pause now and wait on the Holy Spirit and invite Jesus to open our hearts and meet us and help us. Spirit of life, gently lead us today and every day. Reveal the heart of Christ to us. Help us to come honestly and openly before you. And as we do, will you draw near? Jesus, would you be our beautiful friend and take us by the hand? Build our trust in you so we may know and love you more. Amen. So sometimes the kind of stories we hear about God growing up make us very afraid that if we do wrong, God will be against us and punish us. And we talked about a couple of examples on Thursday night at book club. And I somehow got the... I think someone did overtly tell me that if I sped, the angels that are sent to protect me will be lifted off the car and God will remove his covering of protection as I drive. And I've been thinking about that because I do speed. I'm sorry, I do. And I sometimes have these conversations with Jesus like, that's ridiculous that the grace of God is so limited by my wrongdoing. In God we live and move and have our being. And it's not okay that I speed, but God doesn't turn against me. Oh, no, I'm not going to look up. My grace isn't enough for your speeding, Jude Hatfield. Anyway, you know the ideas you get? And so this idea of, God, are you good? Can I trust you? It's been fun talking about them. When we speak of them out loud, we start to dismantle them a little bit. And I also hear Jesus going, how about you slow down there, girl? That would be the right thing to do. (laughs) But not because his grace is lifted from me or his protection, because it's the right thing. Anyway, so we get these weird ideas and... Sometimes those ideas that we get, they can, they can help us to fear God, but they won't necessarily help us to grow in love for God. And trusting someone is to believe that he or she has your best interests in mind. So when we trust that God is entirely good and loving and trustworthy and out for our good, it inspires confidence and courage in us. And there's a Sigmund Freud quote that I love that captures this and says, how bold one gets when one is sure of being loved. You are loved by Jesus. He says, beloved child, my delight is in you. How bold one gets when one is sure of being loved. You are loved, loved, loved abundantly 
by a trustworthy one who cares and watches over you. Jesus displayed this kind of confidence in the one he called Abba. We find this in Luke 10:22. You might want to look it up. It's just a little verse. It says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is the one who best knows the heart of God, and he's the one who reveals God to us through his teaching, his prayers, and his way of life. And that's why when we want to know Jesus, we look at the Gospels and the stories and the stories he told us about God. And Jesus revealed some of this through using the word Abba, which is an Aramaic word and it's found in Mark 14, Romans 8, 15 and Galatians 4, 6. You know, slaves in Roman households were forbidden to use this term because it was such an intimate term of endearment. And it's different to the word father. And it's always joined together. It's always Abba, Father, together. But they're different. And together, though, they tell us the expression of like a small child going Abba, just simple trust, whereas Father expresses more the intelligent, the, the apprehension, the getting it. You're my Father, I get it. When you put the two together, it's a trusting relationship of intimacy. When Jesus prayed Abba, Father, it tells us that to him God was not distant or removed but intimately involved in his life, even in the sufferings. So Jesus used this term many times, but once in a profoundly distressing time before his death, in the time of Gethsemane, where he prayed. In Mark 14, 36, he prayed, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. What do you think made it possible for Jesus to speak to God like that while facing such pain and struggle, to still use that term of intimacy, endearment and trust? It's impossible to know completely, but I suspect one of the things was because of the degree of trust he had in his Abba Father. And when we compare our stories about what God is like with what, how Jesus spoke of his Abba Father, we too can develop a deep and abiding trust in him by saying, show us the Father, reveal the Father to us. So when we look in, um, in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 8 to 13, we learn a little bit more, who is this Abba Father Jesus speaks of? What is he like? So through the content of this prayer, we're going to just step through that little by little and look at attributes of this trustworthy God. So first we'll read Matthew 6, 8 to 13, an excerpt from including the Lord's Prayer. Your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. There are many ways our faith can be enriched from this passage. And meditating on it is a really fruitful thing to do. But today we're going to use this through the lens of what we learn about the nature of God through this prayer. 
So in that first line, our Father in heaven, we learn that God is nearby. And in heaven doesn't mean far away and somewhere else and removed and not what's happening here because in Jewish thought, in Jesus' mind, I suspect, heaven was not a place that was far away. It was the surrounding atmosphere. It was as close as the air they breathed. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, we say, our Father who is as close as our breath. Um, Ben was telling me the other day the word Yahweh is meant in some ways to symbolise breathing, that the name of God is breath. So if all you can do in a time of stress is breathe in and out the name of God, the God who is closer than my breath, thank you that you are with me. When Jesus prays, may your name be kept holy, he is showing us that God is holy or pure, which means there is nothing bad about God or within God. When Jesus prays, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we learn that the one whom we are addressing is powerful, who has the capacity to have their will be done, to choose, to shape, to influence outcomes. And yet the mystery of co-creation with this God. But so far, none of these attributes necessarily mean that Abba is looking out for our good or inherently. So, so someone could potentially be like this, nearby, holy and powerful, but not necessarily be good. I think it would actually be a very fearful thing if they were not. But as we go further into the attributes of God, we see the kindness, compassion that arises and those things that lead us to be able to trust, just as we do with a human. So praying to the one who can give us today the food we need tells us that Abba cares for us, is moved by and wants to provide for our needs. The words forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us reminds us that at the heart of God is mercy the desire to forgive and restore relationships with us and between us. So Abba is forgiving. And finally, rescue us from the evil one implies that Abba is the one who rescues, who protects. But also that there is an evil one and there is a need for rescue and protection. So then the heart of God is nearby holy, powerful, caring, forgiving, and our protector. In short, the perfect balance of all the characteristics of goodness. And we like to divide in our society what are, what are fatherly characteristics and what are motherly characteristics. And I don't think that does us much help here because God is way beyond that. God is the perfectly balanced being that has all the right measure of what we need at the right time. Abba is always working for our good to rescue, restore and redeem. So we trust we can pray, what would redemption look like here? How can I assume that God is working that with me and how can I participate in it? Again, because love that has been proven can be trusted even when things don't make sense. So we assume that God is working with us for our good. So which of these aspects of God is most comforting to you? 
I'm going to read them again slowly and I want you to notice what resonates with you and also maybe what is the thing that's hard for you to connect with or perhaps the thing you most need. The nature of Abba Father. God is nearby, holy, powerful, caring, forgiving, protecting. Which do you most need to see right now in your life? What of those characteristics would help you to know God is trustworthy? Can I suggest you make note of that? What happens in you as you hear those words? What rises up with you? Do you need God to show you how near he is? Do you need God's protection, provision, I'm so grateful that in Jesus, our friend, we find the most tender friend we can share these needs with. Ask him to reveal God to us and to meet these needs. We can simply turn in prayer and say, Jesus, thank you for who you are to us. It would mean so much to us if you would come and minister to us by your spirit. Show us your nearness. Show us your protection. Show us your holiness, your forgiveness, your care how very near you are. Take us by the hand, patiently lead us and reveal the goodness and trustworthiness of God. So even our ache to know God can point us back to God because in all ways God is drawing us. And then the reference from um, Jesus' prayer earlier was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he talks about this cup of suffering. And we all have cups ourselves that are things that make it hard for us to trust God. But this can give us hope that we're not alone even in our struggle to trust God in the hard times. Sometimes we think it's only us. Sometimes we think that everybody else has got life sorted out and they've got faith sorted out. And we're the ones that miss the memo on how to do things right we all, we all are learning and following Jesus the best we can. So knowing that if even Jesus struggled, if he even prayed and struggled there, take this cup from me, then why should we think we should be immune from the fear and doubt that comes with pain and suffering? Yet we're invited to grow in trust by joining our story to the story of Jesus to see how God was there for him and to know that God was there for us. So what does it mean to join our story to God's story? Well, it means to place our story within God's story, to remember that what we see is not the whole thing, not the whole part. So if you're in a game of cards with people, you only know what's in your own hand or what you've been sneakily able to see from the person next to you who doesn't hold them so close to her chest. It is like speeding, uh, Pip. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes when you play with... There are people that make it very hard not to see their cards. So (laughs) you only see what's in your own hand. And when we suffer, it gives us tunnel vision and it's all we can see. The idea is to join our story with God's biggest story is to remember God holds... God doesn't even have cards. God holds it all. 
the cards, the game, the room, the universe, every single part. In God, we live and move and have our being. There's so much more than the cards you see in your hand. This is what it means to join your story to God's big story of redemption. Redemption is always possible through Jesus. Jesus shows us the way to pray, even in our struggles to believe. The prayer of trust he teaches us is to a good and trustworthy God. He shows us how to focus on the biggest story of redemption. And remember, our stories take place in the context of the biggest story God is writing. And suffering's not all there is. And struggle's not all there is. It can be hard to trust God with our children, those of us who are parents. It can be hard to trust God with our futures. It's hard to trust sometimes. But again, press into the goodness of God because it's hard to trust if we're not intimately acquainted. But when you know somebody, it's easier to trust. The story God's writing has room for both the struggle, which is very real at times, and for hope, the story of redemption that gives us hope, the hope that helps us go on, the hope that helps us believe even in our unbelief, The hope that says, I don't see him, but I will trust and assume he is working for my good and the good of those around me. It's a hope based on simply the trustworthiness of God, who is always continually working for our good and who is still in control, whatever control might mean to the one who is holding all things in love. There's not a single situation that we face that we must face alone. God is with us. God is for us. God is able to redeem it. And there is no simple preacher's application for this message. I don't have three things for you to go away and do. These things are so much messier than that. And I think I would dishonour them if I were to imply that this is easy. But I will, what I will say is that the things that happen to us that make it hard to trust God are part of our life stories. And it's okay if right now you're not sure about God because God remains steadily, constantly sure about you. Remains lovingly attending to your every breath. God is present to you. God is sure of you. God is present to you. And this is where we need one another, where we need to gather, where we need to create, commit and participate in real communities, in little clusters of people where we can lean on one another's strength, like we do when the worship team goes before us. They gather our thoughts and they point and lift our eyes to Jesus when we meet with friends over meals and coffees and book clubs and email chats and all the different ways where we need to lean on one another to refocus back to Christ. Because sometimes when your own faith is a little wobbly, you need to lean on someone else's. And the funny thing is, sometimes when someone leans a bit on your faith, you can find yourself being encouraged by the actual words you're telling them. When we do this, we feel less alone with our questions. We find comfort, protection, care, forgiveness, someone who is near. So in short, when we do this, we incarnate God to one another. We take on the very qualities of the God 
that we are trying to know. Simply through creating and participating in community. We find hope that is born from grounding ourselves and our lives again in the trustworthy one. And it takes courage and vulnerability to do this, to go first, to share our questions, our doubt, our faith, our hopes. It takes patience and openness to listen and hold these things in ourselves and others, to hold out hope for one another. But this is what it means to be real people, a real church, the real body of Christ, both beautiful and broken and always, always blessed, sustained and renewed by a good, beautiful and loving God. So in closing, I have a poem. It's by one of my favourite poets. He's an Irish poet, John O'Donoghue. And this, although many of you may not be having a difficult time, one day you might, and maybe this prayer will sustain you then. So here is my prayer for each one of us. May you be blessed in the holy names of those who, without you knowing it, help to carry and lighten your pain. May you know serenity when you are called to enter the house of suffering. May a window of light always surprise you. May you be granted the wisdom to avoid false resistance when suffering knocks on the door of your life. May you glimpse its eventual gifts. May you be able to receive the fruits of suffering. May memory bless and protect you with a hard-earned light of past travail to remind you that you have survived before and though the darkness now is deep, you will soon see the approaching light. May the grace of time heal your wounds. May you know that though the storm might rage, not a hair of your head will be harmed. Amen.